0: Welcome, dear listeners, to Saturn Speaks, a podcast about bringing modern-day spirituality back down to Earth. I'm your host, Jessica Moore, and I'm here today with you to talk about the idea of vibration in spirituality, the idea of high vibe, low vibe, things being somewhere on a spectrum of vibration. It's extremely common in the New Age. Many teachers, many books reference this idea, and so if you are at all familiar with the New Age, I'm sure you've come across it, and maybe you even talk in those terms yourself. Uh, So today I'm going to be talking about how I feel that this is kind of a problematic idea and how it is a perfect example of the way, a way, that the New Age is still rooted in the old story. So going back to the theme of last week and continuing that with one of the most common and popular ideas out there right now in modern day spirituality. So before we begin, I would like to just say the invocation of this podcast. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard. And may this sharing and receiving benefit all of life. So yeah, let's begin. So I find it interesting and somewhat amusing that those who speak a lot about duality and how we need to step out of duality and recognize the oneness, a lot of spiritual teachers speak on this, how it's often those same people that also speak in terms of high vibe and low vibe, or just in terms of vibration in general. And... So this idea of vibration being high or low, it, it it's, describes a spectrum that we can place different emotions, different energies, people, situations. It's essentially a way of determining on a scale how good or bad something is, how much we want that around us and how much we want to avoid it. And so it's essentially a way of thinking in terms of a hierarchy. And hierarchical thinking in general is a toxic form of duality. It's the toxic form of it. So it's really interesting that the idea that duality is bad and also we need to keep our vibration high is often goes hand in hand in um, teachings, books, etc., It's really the same old mindset of separating everything into terms of good and bad, of glorifying one side and demonizing another. And the problem with that is that, as I spoke about last week in the very first episode of this podcast, that duality itself isn't a problem. It's looking at things in terms of good and bad that is the problem, in terms of, antagonistically so that yes there's a spectrum yes there's polarity and seeing one side as being against the other side one side is good one side is bad seeing this uh valencing and this opposition as there as if there's like a war or a battle between these two things as if you always want one and never want the other how that itself is the problem it's not duality or the idea that, we, that the world has polarities that is itself the problem because it's entirely possible to see the world in a way uh, like yin and yang, night and day. To see these polarities as actually working together and being part of a greater whole and both essential for life. So really with the idea of complementary duality like Taoist philosophy, Tibetan Buddhism, I believe, you know, most indigenous cultures believe this way or look at the world this way. And this way of seeing things understands that everything is dependent on context. There's a concept in Buddhism that something is, that is poison is always medicine in, for another organism that there is no such thing as something that is always toxic or something that is always beneficial. It always depends on context, the time, the place, the situation, who is receiving it. And this is also a shamanic idea. In shamanic healing, the way of looking at energies isn't that there are good or bad energies, it's seeing that is the energy in the right place or the wrong place and taking energies that are not where they're where they are supposed to be and putting them where they are supposed to be. So energies that are attached to someone that sh- that shouldn't be there, that aren't healthy for that person, to remove them and send them on their way, to send them to where they actually serve life. Energies that are meant to be with that person, like parts of your soul that are lost, going and finding those and bringing them back. So it isn't about anything being inherently good and bad. And so the issue with the idea of high vibe and low vibe is it's essentially putting a value judgment on everything that you are claiming to be high or low vibe. So as I talked about last week, the idea of valencing things into good and bad leads to excess and deficiency, which as in Chinese medicine will explain leads to imbalance and thus to disease. So just to reiterate how that works, if something is good, then logically you always want more of it. You can never get enough of it. If something is inherently bad, you never want any of it ever in any situation, and you always avoid it. So it sets up a situation where... Instead of those two sides of the polarity balancing each other and both coming together to form a greater whole, instead, there's one side is favored and the other side is rejected. It also leads to the shadow, which is also another large, very large problem in the world today. So I would also argue that this valencing of things into good and bad also leads to superiority and inequality. You may have encountered situations where someone uses that idea of high vibe, like I'm high vibe or this person's high vibe or, oh, what you're doing is low vibe, as a way of essentially asserting superiority, as a way of putting someone down and elevating another person. And it's not surprising because in that way of thinking, it is inherent to see things as in terms of that superiority so something that is high vibe is not equal to something that is low vibe the low vibe thing is inferior and that's a problem because we have a lot of inequality in our world today and we don't need our spiritual beliefs to be feeding into that i also feel like this sense of hierarchy it's been around for so long and throughout history for so long It's really important to guard against it in our belief systems. And if we really want to have us to follow and practice a form of spirituality that takes us out of all these problems of the past, like classism, you know, rich versus poor, oppression, racism, sexism, patriarchy, if we want to truly have any truly have equality in the world, we need to step out of this hierarchical mindset and the idea of vibration being high and low and everything being placed on the scale of essentially good and bad is only feeding into that mindset. And truly, when it really gets down to it, being spiritual does not make us high vibe. That is a common myth that is sort of assumed. And it's problematic in and of itself to look at things that way, because then you are, if you are a spiritual person, if you are making an effort to grow and transform and better yourself, and also if you feel like you have a sense of an understanding of the spiritual nature of reality and a connection to that spiritual nature of reality, and other people don't, and you see that spiritual way of being as being high vibe and not being spiritual as being low vibe you are essentially saying or believing yourself to be superior or better at least like good in some way and that's not helpful because we're all human we're all in this together and we all struggle with the same things Even if we have chosen to do our personal work and to be growing and transforming, that is awesome. That is what the world needs today. So yes, that is wonderful. More people need to be doing that. And it's also healthy. It's, it creates better health for yourself and for the world around you. But it doesn't mean that you don't Fall into the same patterns, the same problematic behaviors, that you don't have the same issues as someone who isn't doing their work. This idea of doing your personal work isn't something that you just do once and then you're done. It's a lifelong journey. And we will always have things to transform and always have more work to do. It's never ending. And I don't want to put down the importance of personal work. In fact, the community that I and my partner are working to build and hoping to create here in the very near future is actually going to have that as a community standard because we have learned and seen what happens in intentional type communities that the, the problems that happen when those communities don't have that as a standard, when people don't do their work they don't clear their triggers, they don't address their shadow and things like that, and how those communities inevitably collapse and and just devolve into a ton of drama and everyone ends up hating each other and it fails. And we don't want to have that happen, so so we've really learned just how important that standard of everyone being willing to, at the very least, do the transformational work that is needed to address issues and patterns and problems that are impacting other community members or impacting the community as a whole. At the very least, that aspect of personal work needs to happen. So I definitely don't want to uh, devalue it in any way. It's extremely important, but it's not a magic pill. I think of it more like a set of tools that we have to address the issues that every human being on this planet inevitably has to deal with and will have to deal with for our entire lives. Yes, the more personal work we do, the less triggers come up, the less stuff might come up or the less frequently, which is great. It does free us from a lot of this stuff, but that doesn't mean that I can be doing this for 50 years and when I'm 90 years old, I still get triggered by something. That's still gonna happen. There's always more because in a lot of ways, we are transforming things that are collective as well. And these are really, really big problems. There's ancestral issues going down generations that need to be transformed. So it's not something that you do once and you're done or you do for a few years and then you're done Or that because you're committed to doing personal work and spiritual growth, that you are now somehow a different class of human being. And I think that's really where this conversation, uh, the point that, that needs to be made here. Also, the idea that being awakened to spiritual realities, I feel that that also does not make us immune to acting poorly in the world, just because... I have an awareness of the oneness, that I've had experiences of feeling that connection, that transcendent state of being. Just because I have that and do things to cultivate that and have a belief system that embraces that doesn't mean that I don't have my shadow come up and cause me to act in a toxic way with my neighbor. All of that still happens. There is no such thing as I have become awakened. I am now enlightened. It isn't something that just happens. The idea in the matrix that you take a pill and you just wake up. Yes, there is a sort of realization that different series of realizations we can have throughout our life that can open us up to things that we previously were unaware of. But it's not a one and done deal. It's not even... and it certainly doesn't make us awakened, whereas someone else isn't. It's all just degrees of realization about different things. And someone else may have an understanding of something that I don't, even though I am more spiritual and have a spiritual practice and have an understanding of more of the spiritual nature of reality. It doesn't mean that there aren't other types of uh, realizations that aren't also important and that other people don't have to offer as well, even if they aren't quote-unquote, spiritual. And having a spiritual practice and a rich spiritual life, unfortunately, doesn't always correlate with personal growth work as well. That it's not a given that just because somebody has an understanding of a spiritual nature of reality, that therefore they are doing their personal work and really transforming and growing. Unfortunately, there is a lot of spiritual bypass out there in the world in spiritual circles and promoted by spiritual teachers that allows people to be very spiritual, feel very spiritual, and yet not really be doing really any real work at all. So I personally believe that if we are going to step out of the lie of separation, that if we are going to reject the old story and adopt a belief system that creates harmony and life, that serves life, that we need to reject this idea of high and low vibration altogether. If we still think that way, I would even say that we haven't actually awakened, quote unquote, that we haven't actually stepped into this new story in our mindset, in our belief system, because of how this idea of a hierarchy of vibrations feeds into all the other hierarchies that are toxic and problematic in our world today. I also particularly dislike this idea of vibration (laughs) because of how it demonizes emotions. This is something I care about a lot because Emotions and a shift in my understanding of them and welcoming learning to welcome emotions, all of my emotions, has been central to my personal path of growth in this lifetime and my process of healing the wounds of my childhood and learning to be fully embodied, learning to truly uh, relate to the world from my heart. And so just a little bit about my story about that to share with you why this matters so much to me. I was a very cerebral kid, and I was quite socially awkward. I remember watching Star Trek with my parents, and Data in The Next Generation was my role model. He was my favorite. And I felt like I I could relate with him, kind of acting awkward, always wanting to be like human to be like everyone else and not really <laughs> being never able to really feel his emotions and yet wanting to wanting to have that depth of connection that he could tell other people had and i because of this awkwardness i was really rejected by the other kids at school they were the source of most of my traumas <laughs> was actually the other kids and So I learned at a young age to cope with this by hiding from my emotions and going up into my head. And so I became disconnected from my full emotional feeling and learned to guard my heart. And at a later age, once I discovered shamanism and began a path of transformation began to seek and discover my authentic self and clear what was standing in the way of me being truly authentic, I discovered just how shut down I was in my heart and just how dampened down my emotions were. Like I still felt emotions, but I didn't feel things deeply. I, there was a distance there. I still was able to empathize with other people, but I wasn't able to really connect in this deep way that I could see people doing. I could see people having these really deep kinds of friendships and didn't really have that in my life and slowly came to discover that I was really lacking that and I really needed it and wanted it. And yet, I found that vulnerability and intimacy terrifying. (laughs) So it was really a process for me to work through that fear around vulnerability and to learn a new way of being. And in that process, I found a book by Carla McLaren called The Language of Emotions. And I remember my friend who shared that book with me, she called it The Emotion Bible. And I really feel that it is in a lot of ways because I have yet to come across another book that has a clear understanding of the function and purpose of each emotion and guidance for how to work with each emotion consciously. Not just the idea of welcoming your emotions, like just feel them and then they will pass, but feel them and understand what they are telling you and why they are arising so that you know what actions you need to take in your life to honor them and to be healthier in general because they have wisdom to share. So it's really receiving the wisdom of the emotions. So when I see how emotions are demonized with this idea of high vibe and low vibe and ranking emotions on the scale of vibration, it kind of drives me crazy. (laughs) Also, it goes against the shamanic view that I've come to adopt of seeing all energies as valuable and useful and um, legitimate in their own way, just in their proper place. And I've come to see emotions that way as well, that every emotion has a purpose. We evolved to feel our emotions as animals. All animals have the same emotions. There's a lot of research out there that has revealed this. Animals, even fish, even not just mammals, feeling emotions that we feel as humans, that it is not a human thing, uniquely human, we have felt emotions since way before we were even human, since before we were even mammals. So you think about how far they go back. They go back millions of years. And we evolved to feel them because their emotions serve us evolutionarily, meaning they help us survive and thrive. Because of the way evolution works, things that, that make it hard for a species to survive get weeded out of the gene pool. So... Emotions exist for a reason, all of them, and they comprise that innate emotional wisdom that exists alongside our mental mental wisdom, our spiritual wisdom, and our bodily wisdom. All these wisdom bodies have equal value and importance, and we do ourselves a disservice when we cut ourselves off from... That emotional wisdom because we have an idea that certain emotions are bad or low vibe and we don't want to feel them, that we should only feel a certain way. So just some examples of how these emotions serve us and I will definitely be going way more in depth on these different emotions in the future. I kind of have a series planned with different emotions for to really focus on because there's a lot here and I've actually had a blog in the past about emotions and written about them and of course there's Carla's book that goes way in depth so there really is a lot but just to give some examples so you can kind of understand what I mean when I say that all emotions have a intelligence and a message and a purpose to serve in our lives so the example of anger that's one that is hard for people often because of how anger has, is often expressed in toxic ways and a lot of people have wounds around um, having to deal with anger being expressed toxically. But we really create problems for ourselves when we reject it because anger is fundamentally connected to our boundaries We cannot set healthy boundaries and enforce healthy boundaries in our lives. If we are disconnected from that emotion of anger and often what happens when people are disconnected to it or don't listen to it when it's in its soft form, then they only set boundaries in a really big and harsh, very angry way. So anger is key to boundaries and it's better to listen to it when it's soft because then it's much easier to act on it skillfully and with emotional intelligence. Shame is another one that can be really problematic for people because of how it has gotten amplified in their life, in in their self, because of childhood messages they've internalized and uh, cultural messages, religious messages. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff out there that creates a lot of toxic shame, but shame itself is f- so important. And we create just as many problems when we try to reject it altogether. A lot of times people use the term guilt to refer to that healthy shame that actually serves us. I I see it all as shame, uh just a shame that is being that that is coming up in an appropriate way and not Because of past wounds. There's a big distinction there in general. I'll talk about that in future episodes. I would like to share a story of a woman. This was recounted by neuroscientist Antonio Damasio. He has written at least a couple books talking about the different emotions and what he's found in his research. He has done a lot of studies and case studies with people with brain injuries. And there was one woman in particular that he talks about who had a brain injury where she was physically unable to feel the emotion of shame afterwards. And so you might think, oh, how wonderful and freeing that would be. But in reality, it made her completely debilitated. She was insensitive To other people. She was unreliable, disruptive in social situations. She was ultimately a danger to herself and others because of her inability to get along with other people well. And she couldn't empathize very well. She couldn't hold down a job. And ultimately, she couldn't even live independently and had to have someone live with her to help take care of her. So because shame exists to make us care about our impact on other people it arises in us when we've crossed a boundary with someone else or when we've hurt someone else or done something wrong that is wrong for our own standards as well as makes them feel bad you know we empathize we feel that empathy and then our shame comes up of oh i i i accidentally made you feel bad with that thing i said i'm sorry for saying that or oops and it is the reason why we ever feel motivated to apologize for anything so if we lived in a world where no one felt shame. No one would apologize, ever. And it would be it would be an absolute nightmare. Not a world I want to live in, personally. I've known people who are shameless in that they are disconnected from shame and they're just completely unaccountable to other people. You know, they'll say they'll do something and they won't do it. They don't care. It's not a great look. Uh, grief is another one that... It's a little more welcomed in our society, but it's still usually classified as low vibe because of how heavy it feels. And it's true that it is yin. It is that there's a weight to it, a gravitas, a heaviness. It pulls us into stillness, into a place of yin, essentially. And I'll get into that in a second about how this valencing could actually be accurate if the good and bad part of it was taken out. So grief obviously helps us adapt to loss. It helps us honor what we've lost too. It's a very honorable emotion. It's a way of expressing our love for things. Fear is one that is always demonized. And so if you're talking about fear, like I have nervousness before a big presentation, and this is something that's really important to me and my soul's purpose, and I need to move through that fear, then yeah, a lot of what you hear about fear is correct if you're thinking of it in terms like that. But fear is much more than that. It comes up much more than just butterflies before public speaking it or doing this podcast it is of absolutely vital emotion to keeping us safe in the world because fear is what makes us anticipate danger have healthy caution and avoid stupid risks in the world it's what makes us more aware when we're driving like oh there's pedestrians around there's a lot of cars. I need to really pay attention here so I don't crash or hurt somebody. That's healthy. It's what keeps us safe on the road. There's countless examples I could give about fear. but I'll just leave it there. So I would also say that accepting all emotions as valid is absolutely key to being psychologically healthy, to our mental health. And it's also key to being authentic, because if we feel a certain way, but we feel that we shouldn't feel a certain way, then we try to force ourselves to feel differently. And we aren't, are we really being real in that moment? Are we really expressing our true authenticity in that moment? If we aren't allowing ourselves to feel what we actually feel in that moment. So... I feel like the emotions really do much more for us than most people realize. They are essential for us to be able to navigate our environment just on a daily basis. For us to interact with other people well, to uh, know in ourselves what we truly need and desire in each moment. Our emotions tell us all of this. That's the kind of information that they give us. And they inform our intuition and our instincts. Those two things, intuition and instincts, are fundamentally connected to emotions. And if we cut ourselves off from certain emotions, we are actually limiting our capacity to instinctually and instinctively move through the world. Did I say the same word twice? That's funny. Um, Intuitively and instinctively, I think I meant to say. And so I really would conclude that the quickest way to actually lower our emotional intelligence, our EQ, is to consider half of our emotions as negative or low vibe, and therefore something to avoid or change and try to not feel as often as possible. (laughs) Because if our emotions are going to be helpful to us and do the purpose that they are meant to do, then we have to engage with what we are actually feeling, and not just what we would rather be feeling. And this is where the psychological health piece comes in, because if we reject a certain emotion because we feel that it's bad, either because we've only seen it expressed in a really bad way in our childhood or something, or we have the belief that we shouldn't feel it because of the spiritual teacher that we're following or whatever. When we exile one emotion from our psyche, then our other emotions just get louder. And this causes stuck and cycling emotions because when one emotion isn't able to do its job, then other emotions will step in to try to fulfill that purpose. But because they aren't designed to do that job, they can't quite accomplish it. So they just get louder and louder, trying to help, trying to do the thing, but the thing never really happens. And so it just leads to a state where we are just always feeling certain emotions just screaming at us and never able to... So it creates this imbalance in the psyche. We're not able to act on the emotions. And because of the way emotions work, when we act on them, receive their message and take the appropriate action, they pass. They're meant to come and go situationally with each moment just ephemerally, and we're, as long as we are able to flow with them. It's kind of that process, that pathway of you feel an emotion, you receive the message, you take the action that's needed, and then you feel a different emotion, because now it's a new moment, and things are different, and other emotions have things to say. So that's how emotions flow properly within us, and that's how we avoid that state of having chronic anxiety, for example. And I'd also like to touch on here the idea that love is always the best emotion. That it's the highest vibration, there's unconditional love, and therefore we should always try to feel love. Because just like with anything, with any energy, Love is not always the appropriate state to be in. Love is not always what the situation calls for. Sometimes love, feeling love in a situation actually creates harm and is toxic for us or others. It always depends on the situation. Sometimes loving another person and acting with love for another person means betraying the self. And sometimes loving the self means harming another person. An example, classic example, would be self-defense. If somebody wants to drag me into a van and I am acting out of love for myself, I might need to harm that person to act out of love for myself. If I don't, I am actually betraying myself. If I put the other person first in that state of, love for the other person over myself I am betraying myself there's you know many examples of this in relationships where in in workplace situations just it's very connected to boundaries sometimes what is healthy for us means saying no even if the other person needs something anytime you see a homeless person that's panhandling If you don't have enough money yourself for rent, then is it appropriate, helpful to yourself to, is it serving life to give that person money? It all depends on the situation, may or may not be. But love translating into action isn't always what is appropriate. And love doesn't always mean connection and happiness. Sometimes what would make us happy would actually harm someone. Like I'm out drinking with my friends and I, there's no, mm, there's no designated driver and I, and it would make me happy to be able to just drive home and go to sleep and not have to spend money on an Uber or something. But I could actually harm someone by doing that, by seeking happiness in that moment instead of responsibility and doing something that doesn't necessarily feel good. So, just, there's many examples of this, I'm sure. Um, And also, connection isn't always what is needed either. Sometimes separation is needed. If someone is acting in a really toxic way, and you feel the need to set a boundary around that, seeking connection and continuing to seek connection often means throwing your boundary away. That oftentimes the only way to enforce a boundary is to physically leave a situation if the other person does not respect that boundary. We have to have some way of enforcing that boundary to make it real. So also there's the idea that love is an emotion and if you're feeling love, then you can't feel other things. And it's I believe that it's way more complicated than that. Because, for example, if we are feeling anxiety and fear for a friend because we see them making a reckless choice, we are feeling fear because we love them, because we care. If we feel guilty and shame for wronging someone, like say I told a friend I would do something and then I failed to do it and I felt bad for that and I felt some shame come up because of that, it's because I care about them and because I care about how I'm impacting them. So love isn't mutually exclusive with other emotions. It often arises alongside other emotions and I would even say that often we feel emotions because we love someone or something. Anger is a classic one. Feeling anger at injustice. It's because we're caring. Anger is very much an emotion that is born out of caring about a situation. If we didn't care, we wouldn't have an emotional reaction. So, so often when I hear these platitudes and sayings would all over social media, constantly bombarding me, (laughs) You, you know, things like you shouldn't get attached. You shouldn't let things bother you. I'm like, you know, is that really healthy? Because if if you see something happening and you don't care and it's not affecting you, you are not empathizing with the people involved. You aren't caring about the people involved. Where is the love in that? <laughs> So there's a lot of these contradictory things in sort of new age self-help world I've noticed. And so I would really even put out there that this whole idea of certain emotions being low vibe was created by people who have a dysfunctional relationship with their own emotions. And that the people who gravitate towards those belief systems is often because they too have a dysfunctional relationship with one or more emotions. So someone who was really wounded by anger growing up, for example, is going to probably believe very easily that anger is toxic when they come across a spiritual teacher that is saying that they're like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Anger is toxic. Anger is low vibe. It's bad. And the problem with that is that that way of making sense of their of the dysfunction and the wounds and their life experiences is by normalizing dysfunction and even then spiritualizing dysfunction instead of actually being nuanced actually digging in and really facing the problematic situation that we experienced without having to just universally avoid the situation really by just saying oh anger's bad i and and that's it. That's all I need to do is just avoid anger. I don't need to really go into those wounds. I don't need to unpack that. I don't need to explore my own relationship with anger and transform anything. It's just anger itself is a the problem. There's nothing, there's no healing that needs to happen. You, you see where I'm going with that, <laughs> hopefully. And another issue with this kind of valancing emotions in the spiritual and self-help world is that emotional healing methods and guidance based on those ideas don't actually work. They ultimately cause more problems than they solve because they create that kind of dysfunction in the emotions by rejecting certain ones and encourage people to reject certain ones. And therefore, when people try those methods or try to follow that guidance and their problems don't resolve then they blame themselves instead of questioning the advice they were given. So that's not great. People shouldn't be blaming themselves for spiritual teachings or healing modalities that are fundamentally flawed because of this underlying premise that they are operating from. If instead this way of ranking emotions was a scale of yin and yang, and not high and low, which implies good and bad, if both ends of the polarity were seen as equally valuable and equal, and there was a neutrality, like like a scale that goes side to side instead of up and down, then it could actually be a useful or valid way of looking at emotions, in the sense that some emotions are very yin in their qualities. They pull us downward, to the earth, they're heavy, They move us towards stillness and other emotions feel very young in that they are light and uplifting and expansive. They take us out of ourselves and connect us to bigger things in the sense of dissolving our boundaries. Um, I've noticed happiness and sadness are complementary opposites in that way. And joy and grief tend to be complementary in that way. And oftentimes I've seen this when people are going through grief, there will be these periods of laughter and almost manic, (laughs) you know, joy uplifting in the middle of that sadness and grief and crying and this sort of bouncing back because of how when the grief gets too heavy, our emotional intelligence knows, okay, it's time to bring in a little levity here to lighten things up a little bit because this is just getting a little too much. For this person to handle so anger is interesting because it's for, about firming up boundaries which i think of as more yin but it's more yang i would say overall because of how it is outward focused and expansive with our with the ego and our sense of self it pushes us out in the world and you know that sense of standing tall or puffing out the chest in anger Whereas shame has the polar opposite effect of pulling us inward, causing us to hang our head in shame, and really contracting the ego, putting the ego in check, that sense of humility. So it can be useful to think of things in terms of a scale or a spectrum or polarity, and that isn't inherently problematic. What gets problematic is when things are ranked as one higher or better than the other. So it's that sense of the value judgment, the good and bad value judgment coming in and being overlaid on top of that spectrum that becomes a problem. So in general, to conclude, I would say, be careful when you hear talk about vibrations in a spiritual book you're reading or on social media coming from some spiritual teacher. Be careful when you hear that talk because the talk about vibration can be useful when you're talking about resonance, like their vibe matches my vibe or my vibe didn't match the vibe of that situation. There wasn't a resonance there that can actually be useful. And there's nothing inherently problematic with that. But if you hear things talking about high vibe or low vibe, there's an inherent value judgment being made there. And that's usually a sign that whoever is saying that has slipped back into the lie of separation it's also a sign that if it's a channeled source that maybe that channeled source isn't either fully accurate or worth listening to at all so that's something i'll be getting to in future episodes as well talking about channeling and mediumship and some of the issues with that So this talk of high and low vibe can actually be a helpful flag, like a red flag, to help us discern when we are encountering different spiritual teachings and the like. And I feel like this is just a perfect example of where the New Age is still rooted in the old story and fails to live up to its promise. And so I would like to cut out this high and low vibe talk and idea as a way of course correcting the new age to get back on track. I feel like this is one area where it really needs that course correction. So that's it for today. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved by this episode in any way, please consider supporting this podcast in whatever way feels right to you. You know, you can share it with other people. You can shoot me an email with feedback and ideas for future shows comments. It all helps to make this podcast thrive and become even more rich and juicy to expand this conversation. So I would love that. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Saturn Pod is the handle on social media. There's also the website, SaturnSpeaksPod.com, where you can find out everything else you need to know about it. And Next week, I'll be talking about toxic positivity, continuing this theme, but really focusing in specifically on how positivity, which is obviously a wonderful thing in and of itself, how it can become not helpful in the way that it is commonly utilized and talked about in modern day spirituality and self-help. So I hope you will join me for that next week.